Thank you for listening to TMA's Practice Well podcast. TMA, helping you improve the health of all Texans. Did you know that you can claim CME credit for many of TMA Practice Well podcasts? Just go to www.texmed.org forward slash C-M-E-T-O-G-O. Register for your podcast and follow the instructions to claim CME. The content of CME to go podcasts do not relate to any product of a commercial interest. Therefore, there are no relevant financial relationships to disclose. Please be advised that the information and opinions presented as part of this podcast should not be used or referred to as a primary legal source and does not replace the advice of your healthcare attorney. Hi there, and welcome. Thank you for tuning into this TMA podcast. I am Yvonne Moonkun, Quality Practice Management Consultant with TMA's Practice Management Services. And today I will be chatting with you about remote patient monitoring or RPM for short. Uh, more specifically, we will discuss some of the inherent liability issues um, and some of the tips for mitigating those concerns. So remote patient monitoring is a great tool for empowering patients to better manage their health and participate in their health care. It can provide a a more holistic view of a patient's health over time, um, help you uh, get kind of some insights and visibility into a patient's treatment compliance, um, and enable timely intervention um, to avoid further exacerbation of their condition um, and or um, any potential ER or ho- uh, visits or hospitalizations. So by using the data that's sent to you um, by RPM, you, you can use that data to develop personalized care plan for the patient, engage in joint decision-making uh, with the patient, and, um, and, and foster better outcomes as a result. As a matter of fact, uh, the American Heart Association supports initiatives that increase the access to and incentivize the appropriate design and use of evidence-based remote patient monitoring technologies. We've seen a lot of value in it with cardiac um, patients, hypertensive patients, those kinds of things. Um, uh, For example, according to the Michigan State Medical Society, 600,000 cardiac patients are implanted with pacemakers each year. This is one of the most common monitoring devices out there and it's been around for a really, really long time. Now, you know, when you start talking about any topic, it's very important to make sure that uh, you define some of your terms, particularly the main topic of the conversation, just so that we can make sure we're all speaking the same language, we're all on the same page. So I'm going to do that with remote patient monitoring, or RPM, um, just to make sure we're clear and we all know what we're talking about. Um, So RPM is a subset of telehealth that facilitates patient monitoring as well as Uh, the timely transfer of patient-generated data from the patient to the care team um, with a response back to the patient. Like, hey, you're doing great, keep it up, or hey, we need to see you, something like that. Um, So to capture that data, 
RPM can employ a host of wired or wireless uh, peripheral measurement devices, such as implantables, um, you know, like the pacemaker, biosensors, blood pressure cuffs, glucometers, pulse oximetry, um, as well as sensors that collect data passively. And by that, I mean, um, they've even developed things that are like beacons in a home that can transmit data on movement um, and specific activity or inactivity. Um, and these kinds of things are most often used in a post-discharge setting or between routine office visits. And that is to say that uh, remote patient monitoring is a supplement to the patient's health um, and, and, and your provision of care. It does not replace an office visit. It does not replace the patient seeing you and being monitored in face-to-face in real time. Uh, some RPM may also allow for real-time video interactions between patient and provider be included in some type of telemedicine platform. Similarly, um, it can be used to transmit um, user-entered data. So um, this might be, um, you know, a blood pressure that a patient takes and they type that into um, some type of, of uh, app or something and that it stores that in a secure record system that is accessible to clinicians or, or care monitors. Um, and then those readings can then be flagged um, and alert clinicians or caregivers to abnormalities via email or text message. Um, and in response to these alerts, clinicians or others can then log into the system, review that data, follow up or check up on the patient, and then take other appropriate actions. And, and they include others and caregivers in this definition because there might be um, uh, folks that are homebound, bedbound, something of that nature. Maybe they have a specific type of monitoring device, a pulse ox or something of that nature, um, heart monitor, who knows. Um, and th- through, through an app system in the smartphone, perhaps um, their loved one sleeping in another room might get a, an alarm on their cell phone that uh, they need to go and check their, their loved one and, and see, what their, see what their condition is at that moment, you know, such as in the middle of the night when somebody might be sleeping. Um, so, so they'll alert both, uh, some of them, depending on the technology you use, will alert clinicians and or others. Um, some of these systems have the capacity to connect patients with additional resources, such as um, patient health records, um, electro- electronic medical records, uh, targeted mate- uh, education materials, interactive self-care tools, and uh, medication optimization technologies, such as um, uh, like medication reminders, things like that, um, and then also connect with other healthcare providers. Um, again, it depends on the, t- the technology you're using. Um, some of the more sophisticated systems have all of those additional resources. Uh, most RPM technologies allow for patients to generate their own data. Uh, patient-generated health data um, are, are data that are created, recorded, or gathered by or from the patient. Um, this can be done by family members or other caregivers, additionally. Um, and this is all done to support the patient's health. This data may include variables related to health history, biometric data, symptoms, and lifestyle information. Um, the, the recent proliferation of RPM has increased the frequency, amount, and types of patient-generated health data that's available out there to us. And, and these advances in RPM have the potential to allow patients and their caregivers to independently and seamlessly capture and share their health data electronically with clinicians from any location.
these are many, many great advantages of, of uh, remote patient monitoring. However, despite these many advantages, remote patient monitoring has some liability risks. And that is what we want to talk about now. So we're going to talk about that topically, um, so it's kind of easy to, to follow. Um, but please note, in all of these topics, there are decisions you make, there are things that you pay attention to, processes you put in place. All of these things need to be documented in writing in policies and procedures for your remote patient monitoring program in your practice. Um, so we're going to talk about the devices themselves first. Uh, physicians really should stay up to date on the latest information for the device, and that includes manufacturer warnings, the device's safety record, and the device's approved uses. Um, if the remote device fails or malfunctions, we know that physicians may be named in the lawsuit against the manufacturer under the claim that the physician failed to use the device properly. Um, so to help reduce this risk, you want to, again, stay up to date on the latest information for the device, uh, be aware of any FDA alerts or recalls, and thoroughly read all contracts with the medical device vendors. You want to make sure all of those uh, potential alerts and things are in that contract. How, how is it going to be done? Um, ensure that that contract outlines who is responsible in the case that the device does malfunction or fails. Um, how will all of that be handled? You want to make sure all of those kinds of things are in the contract. Any responsibility that the vendor has in your remote patient monitoring program needs to be outlined in that contract. Um, medical devices themselves may be vulnerable to viruses and malware, so so we want to make sure that um, that we're paying attention to to the technology itself. Right, the FDA notes that providers who use medical devices cannot rely solely on device manufacturers to ensure security. Providers must also take steps to safeguard patient information within their network. Now, these steps include ensuring antivirus software and firewalls are up to date, monitoring the network for any unauthorized use, and um, reporting any medical device cybersecurity problems to the device manufacturer. And I would also add that, you know, should you have a cybersecurity breach, um, a patient information breach, that you also immediately um, report that to Department of Health and Human Services. The quicker you report that stuff, the better it usually goes. Um, so yeah, make sure all of that stuff is in your policies and procedures. Um, and then in terms of compliance, again, staying in vain of, of the HIPAA conversation here, because remote monitoring devices transmit patient data over the internet or through phone lines, through some kind of cabling, there is a risk of data breach if the information is not properly encrypted. Um, so you want to include telemedicine equipment, um, whether it's hardware, software, whatever, in your security management plan and annual security risk assessment. Um, and I did say annual security risk assessment. And you want to make sure that all staff and providers who participate in the telemedicine remote monitoring services program have received telemedicine specific privacy and security training. Um, you want to incorporate references to telemedicine remote patient monitoring in your notice of privacy practices as well. Um, when you're doing any type of business with any of these vendors, you want to make sure that uh, you've checked into whether you whether or not you are. Uh, whether you're, whether or not you'll need a business associate agreement. Um, you want to evaluate all parties 
including any vendors involved in the provision of services uh, for compliance with federal and state privacy and confidentiality regulations. Um, if, if the vendor is going to be uh, or have access to um, any patient information in the data transmission process or the setup of the equipment, anything like that, you want to make sure that you've got a business associate agreement. If that, if that vendor is going to have access to the patient name alone, you would want to have a business associate agreement with them. Um, <clears throat> and, 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 and in the vein of, of liability, we're going to also talk about um, uh, insurance, right? You can't talk about liability without considering insurance. You, you want to talk to your malpractice carrier and, um, and see if they have any type of um, um, rider or inclusion of telemedicine and, more specifically, the remote patient monitoring. Um, there are insurance plans um, that are being customized for businesses that are in the remote patient monitoring industry. Um, the risk exposure is different for a device manufacturer, a software developer, versus a monitoring service or a reseller or a physician, uh, physician's practice. Um, so, you know, there may be um, a conversation to have with your business insurance provider as well. Um, just to see if there's something extra you need there. Um, so let's talk about patient selection. Um, this is a really, really important issue. You want this program to be successful for your practice and for your patient, right? Um, and so you need to make sure that you have identified patients that are appropriate for the program um, because the, the, the success of the program will depend on that quite a bit. Um, you want to choose patients that are motivated to actively manage his or her health, that they want to be involved, they're, um, they're engaged, motivated, um, and you want to make sure that they have the ability to understand and use the technology. If you have patients that are not tech savvy, they may not be good candidates for remote patient monitoring. If you have patients that have struggled with telemedicine, then remote patient monitoring may not be appropriate for them. Um, so you definitely want to assess for uh, their capability to understand and use the technology. Um, and this leads us into patient education. Um, some of that, you know, really is just about exposure and education. So, you know, if 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 you can if you can if you can educate a patient sufficiently to use the the equipment, great. Um, the success of your program again dependent on each patient's motivation um, and their engagement, ability to understand. Um, and some of that, or a lot of that, depends on how, how well educated they are in the process. Um, first and foremost, you want to complete and document a thorough informed consent. Um, and that should, again, be in your policy and procedures. You can do that either in writing, on pieces of paper, right, forms, or it can be done electronically. Um, it can also be done via discussion, and that discussion is then documented. Um, however you choose to do it, just make sure you do it consistently and that it's part of your written policy and procedure. You want to educate the patient on various um, items. How to use the device. That's the, a big one, right? Explain the treatment plan, such as uh, what time the device will be monitored, how the alerts will be handled, um, 
all that type of stuff. In terms of how to use the device, the actual mechanics of using the device and connecting to the technology, that type of thing, um, that may, depending on what type of equipment you're using, uh, the manufacturer distributor that you're using, they may deliver the equipment to the patient and explain how to use it. Um, or uh, the patient may be um, picking up the medication, uh, picking up the device somewhere and bringing it to your office and or you might have the device that you give the patient. So anyways, there, there are a variety of ways the patient can be educated about how to use the device and who might be responsible for doing that, depending on, again, what you're using and how all of that process is set up. Um, you want to teach the patient, patient what device failure or malfunction looks like and what they should do if that happens. Um, and by the way, if, if the distributor is doing this education, you want to make sure that you are aware and that they have given you documentation of all of these points, what they've covered with the patient, um, just so that you know what the patient was told and if there are any gaps in education that you need to um, fill. Um, they need to know how to properly maintain the device. Do they need to plug it in and charge it? Do they need to change batteries every so often? Do they need to clean it in a certain way? Um, they need to know what the available hours for um, um, transmission of data and, and, and response, the limitations of remote monitoring, things of that nature. Um, what constitutes an emergency reading and how to respond to that? Do they call the office? Do they call 911? Do they go to the emergency department? Does it depend on what happens during the day or if it happens at night? Um, so you want to make sure that you've gone over all of that with them. And then you also want to cover the risks of a remote device failing or malfunctioning. Um, the risks of malware compromising the effectiveness of the device and, and patient privacy. Um, you might have patients that are on uh, CGMs, right? Continuous glucose monitoring. And, and um, maybe in the middle of the night, the device malfunctions and it doesn't alert properly and it's not reading and alert, alerting properly. And the patient wakes up with a, an elevated blood sugar level. Um, they need to be aware that that's a risk. And they also need to be taught how to manage that and deal with that and um, to take care of themselves and where to get um, more emergent treatment if they need it. You want to document all of this education in the patient's medical record. Um, and you want uh, a written acknowledgement um, of receipt of the information. So you can have a form with all of that information they sign, or you can document the discussion of the patient education. Either way, there needs to be um, documentation in the patient's medical record. Um, and you want to make sure that you've included all of these things, how the remote monitoring works, what are the limitations, the warnings, all that stuff. Now, with regard to the data transmission, um, you want to make sure that you've got a whole comprehensive set of protocols that describe all of that. And we're going to, we're going to talk about those individual pieces. Um, but I, I just can't stress enough because I know that this is um, probably one of the, um, the priority issues on, on most every physician's mind is the responsibility of dealing with the data. So here's some, just some tips for you to mitigate some of those concerns. In your protocols, written protocols, you want to describe who will handle the incoming data. Um, will you need additional staff to monitoring the incoming data? At what time will the device be monitored? Will you receive and be responsible for that data? Which members of the, the care team will monitor 
that data at each point and 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 deal with it and, and respond to it appropriately? Under what circumstances um, would the appropriate clinician be alerted to a potential problem? And in the case of a potential problem, what will be the procedure for responding to urgent or emergent data and needed intervention? Um, some telemedicine platforms allow providers to set the times when patients can transmit data to the provider. Um, others allow physicians to tailor the timing of transmissions for each patient, you know, to avoid random su submissions of, of data when providers are not available to monitor the data, um, perhaps like when you're sleeping in the middle of the night. Um, if patients will be allowed to transmit information 24-7, you would be responsible for developing and implementing a process for evaluating this data in a timely manner to avoid any delays in treatment. Now, perhaps you do have something that monitors a certain um, uh, reading, a patient condition 24-7. Maybe, maybe you institute something like um, similar to an answering service, uh, a, a company that monitors that data 24-7 and sends you alerts or calls you or alerts you somehow that there's an issue that needs to be addressed in the middle of the night. Um, Lastly, as far as data transmission is concerned, be aware of the risk of alert fatigue. Um, you know, just like we get pop-ups on our computer or on our, our smartphones, we, we've, ha we've had a tendency to, to kind of get used to them and ignore them or just hit okay or yes or whatever. And every now and then we, we, we don't pay attention and we download a virus on our computer by clicking yes and not reading the or we delete a program accidentally. The same thing can happen with, with the alerts coming in, um, especially if you have quite a few patients on remote patient monitoring. Um, the, 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 the alerts can be overwhelming, um, and it can cause some, uh, you know, some, some staff to ignore them, override them, disable them. Oh, I'm getting so tired of hearing that. That person always runs at that level, you know, that type of thing. So anytime an alert or a potential patient problem is, is, is not addressed uh, immediately for some reason, make sure that decision is documented um, just so that, um, you know, you protect yourself and the patient. Um, but again, just be aware of alert fatigue and, and be mindful of checking each of those messages as you get them. And, and teaching your staff to do the same if they're the ones monitoring that stuff. Um, so, you know, telehealth has been around for over a decade. Um, however, it has advanced a decade in just the last three months as a result of COVID-19. You know, uh, many physicians um, were hesitant about using telemedicine for a long time, reimbursement issues being what they were, um, what they have been. Um, however, as of uh, March, many physicians have been forced to implement telemedicine and put aside any reservations I had about telemedicine in order to keep um, patients and themselves safe while still providing patient care. Um, and remote patient monitoring really can provide some, not all, but some of the data you might have gotten during an in-person visit, you know, such as a BP reading, um, which can be important for supplementing the, uh, the care of that hypertensive patient um, who's reporting on the progress of a newly prescribed medication being a telemedicine visit. Uh, so, so don't let the liability issues scare you off. Rather, learn about them and put pleasures, uh, measures in place to mitigate those issues. Um, 
so that you and your patients can use this technology um, with effectiveness and success. I appreciate your time and attention today. I wish you all well. Thank you.